Welcome back to the Rural Roundup, produced in association with the Scottish Government. I'm Kerry Hammond and on today's episode we'll join farm advisors Tiffany, George and Robert to find out more about what's happening in the agricultural sector and what to be aware of for the next wee while. I'm going to tell you about some events and resources available to you through the FAS programme and I'm joined by Phil Knott from the Nature Friendly Farming Network who's ready to tell us what's on his desk. How's your week been George? Yeah, things are definitely getting busier up here. Um, the weather has undoubtedly improved. Um, Ploughing is going on. Um, yeah, I think every, everybody seems to be quite upbeat at the moment, as it is with days are getting longer. Um, so yeah, we're uh, getting busier again. The weather's definitely seemed uncharacteristically mild at the moment down here. How's your week been, Robert? Yeah, pretty hectic. Plenty happening. Um, all good stuff. And certainly just ag- agree with what George is saying there. The weather, it's it's an amazing spell at the moment. And probably we, in Ayrshire, we normally have three or four goes at spring. And this is the first one. So it's quite nice to get a, a wee spring back in people's step. I know the weather's to break later in the week into the middle of February. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been been really nice. Definitely got to enjoy the nice weather whilst it's here. Mm-hmm. Definitely seen a lot of farmers out uh, spreading muck this week because um, the ground's in good conditions and weather's been dry. So what's been on your desk this week, Robert? Um, lots of carbon audits, a couple of budgets, um, two or three people looking at financial options for businesses, some positive, some negative. But um, yeah, a bit of back into a bit of business work. And a yeah, just normal February stuff. Probably trying to get my desk cleared for Ajax just round the corner because before we know it, you know, there's a a month from now we'll be back into it and um, onwards and upwards. I I really enjoy Ajax. Like I'm looking forward to it, but it's important we get our desk pretty well cleared before it. How about you, George? Yeah, um, still busy with some. Tidying up some carbon audits. Uh, there's a few people looking at uh, NVZ work and uh, nutrient planning for the the season ahead. How much fertilizer they need to to use. Uh, also getting quite busy with PSF claims. Um, tendency as always to leave things to the last minute, but um, it's getting recommendations and such like uh, from samplers and and uh, companies that is it's 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 slow in the process, but uh, hopefully we'll get there before the 28th that's definitely a great reminder george if anyone is looking to do a psf claim whether it's for the carbon audits or for soil sampling you have until the 28th of february uh, to complete your claim for work that's carried out during 2022 and um, so make sure you've got everything that you need to make your claim and your bills being paid and um, so you can get that claim put in on time it's also important to note that the SAGS grant scheme claims also due, and um, that's also closes on the 28th of February. So it's definitely worthwhile making sure you get that claim put in in time. It's not long to go now. But what the good news is for PSF anyway, not not for SAGS, but for PSF, it runs next year. As you know, it runs for the foreseeable future. So if we've done soil sampling work in 2023, you know we can get on and claim that just as and when so i'm expecting to do quite a lot of claims. we're doing quite a lot of claims just now but i'm also hoping we'll be doing quite a few in the next few months as well for 
2023 work and that means that farmers will be paid pretty promptly after after that application's in. Yeah, so any sampling that's been carried out in 2023 or if you have had a 2023 carbon audit done, you can claim from the 1st of March. So once the 2022 claim deadline's passed, um, you'll then be able to start making 2023 claims from the 1st of March. Um, and as Robert said, you are being pre- paid pretty promptly. So it is definitely worth putting your claim in if you've done your soil sampling or done a new carbon audit. Robert, what are you seeing with farm gate prices at the moment in the beef sector? Yeah, so what a change. And what uh, I suppose what we're seeing is what I hoped we would see. I was never actually bold enough to say it out loud, but we had a very difficult 2022 and pretty much across the board because of you know you know we had good prices that was the weird thing in 2022 was we had we had good deadweight prices good store prices it just wasn't enough to cover the massive spike in input costs but what we're seeing now is a those input input costs are beginning to come back a bit and some of them quite significantly if you look at fertilizer it's vastly different to what what we thought it would be even as late as october november time we were expecting fertilizer to be stand on last year's price at best and it's actually rumbling back week on week at the moment so that's quite exciting but the other the main exciting bit is what's happening with deadweight prices cattle supplies and particularly store cattle so we're now seeing it's not that long ago for for a, a decent store store animal you would want to get two pounds a kilo or you'd hope to get maybe just over two pounds a kilo and we're now routinely seeing three pounds a kilo so you're seeing these we you know reasonably well done year old stores coming to £1,200 you know, it's it's quite exciting it, there's a lot of cows away that's the problem is the, there's a lot of cows down the road um, so there's less supply of cattle and that's the case pretty much across certainly Ireland and the main places that supply us so the price looks good and actually there's nothing other than demand from the public if there was a dramatic reduction in demand the price would would alter but all things being equal the price looks as if it'll be really pretty strong for you know for the foreseeable future having had um high cull prices last year and many uh, farms making sure they clear out all the cattle that aren't quite so productive do you think there could be a shortage of supply going forward there, there already is you know, there's there these guys are fighting for them, um, and the problem is, we've killed the cow. So you know, the 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 breeding animal, there's a lot of herds away. So how we get to a point where we've got a surplus again? We don't want a surplus, but when when we fill that supply, we need cows on the ground to fill that to fill that gap, and to do that, you need to retain heifers at a point when beef's in demand. So there's a a difficult you know, it's a long journey if if we want to increase cow numbers, which is we're quite a long way off doing that in a, t- a period that's been contracting for 20 or 30 years. But if we want to, if we do want to drive cow numbers the other way, there's almost a bigger problem. There's, or there's a, it perpetuates the, the shortage because you've got to keep heifers to replace them. Um, we do hear a lot about the dairy. Dairy beef's going to fill the gap and it certainly has there's an awful lot of beef comes out of the dairy herd, um, particularly since sex semen came in and there's a lot more beef sires going into dairy herds. But there's only so many uteruses in the dairy industry. You know, there's only so many pregnancies required. And the dairy industry's moved towards 
more litres from less animals. So there's actually, you know, there's a pressure on beef supply um, right across the board. So it's very interesting times. Globally, can we go and do a trade deal with somebody who can fire it in an awful lot cheaper? Yes, technically we can. But where we're at in the world at the moment is the food security stories in the balance. And there's no massive surplus anywhere in the world you know there's demand for it so um yeah very interesting times it'll be interesting to see what happens especially when the population keeps growing as well if there's not that breathing room it's going to have to be something to start filling the gaps george what's happening with the pig sector now um it's getting there um it's not turned the corner yet but it's there's definitely uh, more um encouraging signs there um, there's still negative margins being made. Feed prices are coming back. Uh, the finished price or the price that finishers are receiving is creeping up. Um, and uh, the only, I suppose, proteins are, are they're, they're quite expensive. Um, I think it's important to also remember that uh, the pig sector in the UK has contracted by about 15% in the past two years. And while demand and supply has influenced the price to a, to a certain degree, um, it's still very, very easy for uh, pig meat to come in from abroad and fill the gaps. Uh, and, you know, that it, it's very, very easy. And, and that's something I think, it, you know, maybe could, could apply to other sectors as well if push comes to the shove. Um, at the end of the day, there's a price that consumers will pay the retailers will, will, will want and um that you know if they can get supplies from elsewhere um that that's a scary thing the other the other side of it as well is uh, when an industry contracts uh, it needs infrastructure in place um that there needs to be enough producers there to keep that sector whether it's processors uh you know marketing groups and that they need to be able to survive to support the sector it needs a critical mass and that, and that applies not just the pigs the beef as well um because it needs processors chasing chasing cattle chasing pigs what have you to keep that price up yeah george the infrastructure thing's the same in the sheep sector you know we've, we've now we're now in a position where the vast majority of scotch lamb actually goes to down south goes to wales to get slaughtered so there's a you know we we've kind of lost the critical mass in the sheep sector and there's certainly the risk that that happens in in pigs and also in in beef as well we're well supplied with beef abattoirs at the moment but if we've contracted the the industry is there room for them for them all i I do hope there is and i'm sure there is um but we certainly need to be sensible um from a business perspective and also a government policy perspective as well to make sure we um we have the the infrastructure that we require to let this industry sing. Um, yeah. I think it's also important to remember that that a lot of these uh, your processing plants, a lot of them are sited in areas that um, they really do supply a lot of jobs. And um, I know that you know the the main processor in Scotland is in Angus, and it's a huge employer down there, uh, and. You know, because these people have the work, it's also keeping that town and the surrounding area going, and 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 that's the same in a, in a lot of other circumstances, a lot of other 
um, processing plants. They're in areas that, that, that need supported and they need an industry. We actually did a, a Faz Connect meeting. It was a hoof-to-hook meeting for uh, for beef and we went to Highland Meats and Salcoats. And if ever you want to see the role that farmers have to play in the wider economy, you want to go to a boning hall of, a, of an abattoir because there is a sea of people who are reliant on that primary product going in that door. Yeah. So that, that abattoir employs 350 people. And that's out of a town. You know, Salcoats, North Ayrshire, is an ex-industrial you know it's not it's not um you know it's been under pressure unemployment's been a thing it's had big employment and then it's had significant unemployment it's in quite a good place and one of the biggest employers or probably the biggest employer is that processing plant so you know all these communities where these abattoirs are are so reliant on them yeah Um, i suppose tiffany we should talk about sheep market as well so the beef's booming the pig thing's improving the sheep story is slightly different so sheep last year probably was a was an amazing year and certainly through this through the summer we were trading pretty well and then the market's gone a bit flat but i think for me there's really two tiers in the sheep sector at the moment so there's if you bred if you bred the lamb yourself so if you're you're finishing finishing your own lambs you're probably fairly happy with the trade you know a fat lamb you know give or take a wee bit is a hundred pounds um if you bought that lamb for 95 pounds in the store ring it's a whole different argument it's a whole different discussion so there are people who bought and we were all expecting it to be pretty good so they bought high out the store ring expecting to get that 130 or 140 even that we've had in the past and actually we've hit this kind of flat spell so there are people who have a certainly good reason to complain about the price of lambs but there's also a, a, a group of people out there that are probably reasonably happy with where we're at um but the, the thing with store store lamb purchasing is every year you do it you take a risk and in the last certainly several years the risk the reward has been greater than the risk and this this year's just been a, a bit of a leveler for it and i, I think we will see a a change maybe in the attitudes when it comes to buying store lambs this summer, a uh, summer twenty twenty three, just because some people have had their fingers burnt a wee bit. So, in- interesting times, uh, but certainly no, no disaster. No, it's certainly the industry's a wee bit flat, but it's nothing like where the pig guys have been to, where the you know where the sheep sheep industry's been to in the past as well. So, no. hopefully, hopefully a reasonably bright bright year in front of them as well. Yeah, hopefully. The 2022 lambing was a bumper crop of lambs as well. So when you've got those extra numbers of lambs, it does slightly bring the price back. But it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of months when you've got the likes of Ramadan coming up to yeah. see what happens with uh, lamb prices then. And and that really highlights the the... When you look at what we as a country eat in terms of lamb, it's not very much. But if you then look at who's eating it, there's a very small amount of people eating a lot of lamb and there's an awful lot of people not eating any lamb. So there's a, if we're looking at sustainable red meat, looking at emissions and all kinds of things, the, you know, there, there is a, an argument to look at lamb, grass-reared lamb, very low input. You know, there's a nice story there and it's a story we need to actually tell that 
high-end consumer and see if we can get people back onto consuming lamb. De definitely something that could be marketed better because it is low input, um, especially up here in Scotland. There's so many places that can produce lamb well but can't produce other things. So, George, how are cereal prices looking? Um, I think on the whole, back from back from their highs, um, everything's still starting with a two. Um, barley's two twenties, uh, wheat a wee bit more. Um, I think people there's a lot of, of cereal growers maybe looking at um, the highs that they got last year. Uh, and then even the molten barley prices, and they're comparing the price then and thinking, "Whoa, um, it's a disaster." But actually, in historic, you know, if you look back historically, still good prices. Um, Roberts touched on it that that fertilizer prices are coming back. Um, so I think when you do the sums, there's still margins going to be made this year, provided the prices stay where they are. Um, and a lot depends really on what's going on in the Black Sea. Um, you know, th if there's a lot of grain historically always come out of there, uh, and that can have a major, major influence between now and harvest time. Did anyone manage to catch the rugby match at the weekend? I did. Yeah, I even managed to drink some beers, and a yeah, good, good result. Nice to see Scotland backing up a and a wee win with a, a pretty comfortable, pretty convincing home win. So we'll see what see what happens there. I suppose when this podcast goes out, we'll maybe. We'll maybe know what happens in <laughs> the, the third game uh, but the settlers have some big games in front of them the first two games have definitely been a big success um interestingly i was listening to um, an episode of agriculture which is another one of the podcasts um which are produced by the farm advisory service and it was actually with ex-international rugby referee nigel owens and on it, he discusses, um, I think it was struggles with sexuality, mental health, and eventually finding joy again with farming. So it is lovely to see that farming has gone and helped somebody from rugby. And it's great that somebody like him is willing to open up about sexuality, because I think it is something that's being talked about more, but I find still in farming that not many people are open about it. So it's absolutely fantastic to hear him talking about it. I feel it's also important to point out that we were talked about the rugby, but there's a, a bigger sporting um, event on this evening, on the 13th of February, is uh, Darvel taking on Falkirk in the last 16 of the Scottish Cup after bombing Aberdeen out. George, um, I, don't, I, don't I don't think we should be talking too much about that. That's, well, uh, well, it, we'll see. <laughs> I, I'm a, Darvel is feeling... My hometown is feeling confident, so I'm going to put that on the record just now, and we'll see how that we'll see how that one ages. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Robert and George. Cheers, Stephanie. Yeah. Thanks, Stephanie. We have a great in-person event for women in agriculture in Orkney on February the twenty-third at ten a.m. Join us at The Nuke in the Albert Hotel to hear from Seamus Murphy, an environmental consultant at SAC Consulting. Seamus will be walking the group through the carbon audit process and mocking up a carbon audit to show you what you can do with your own results. So if you're considering having a carbon audit done or have one but aren't sure about what the results mean for you, 
Come along and ask all of your questions in a friendly bunch of like-minded women. On February the 28th, the Soil Association is hosting a meeting starting at 10am at Balburnie Farms in Fife. The meeting is all about reducing your inputs by using a whole farm integrated approach. Practices such as reducing tillage, diversifying rotations and the use of cover crops have boosted Balburnie Farms' biodiversity, their efficiency and their overall resilience. A highly topical webinar is being held on the 28th of February at 7.30pm. During the webinar, how to reduce your farm energy bills, we'll hear from Rod McGovern of Farm Energy Consulting, who's going to let us know what changes we can make to spend less on power. We'll be specifically looking at the use of energy within rural housing and the potential for renewable energy to be a part of the solution. This webinar is available to anyone with an interest in saving money on their energy bills. If you're interested in any of these events, please find links in the show notes to book your spots now. Today, I'm joined by Phil Knott, the Scotland Chair of Nature Friendly Farming Network, who's here to tell me what's on his desk. Hello, everyone. I'm Phil Knott, uh, and I'm a crofter on the Isle of Skye. Um, like many crofters, uh, I wear many, many hats and do many, many different jobs. Um, some of the ones I'm, I'm working uh, hardest on at the moment uh, are as the vice chair of the Nature Friendly Farming Network in Scotland. That's a very uh, busy uh, and enjoyable role. Uh, and I also uh, head up and facilitate uh, a knowledge transfer innovation fund project, um, which is also working with crofters and farmers on Isla Jura and Colonsay. So most definitely a Western distribution in my work at the moment uh, and working a lot with nature, biodiversity, um, farming, crofters um, most definitely an enjoyable role for me so I grew up in urban uh, environments most definitely central Bristol and I studied in uh, Plymouth uh, as well so most definitely an, an urban upbringing but I was always drawn to the, the rural sector and the outdoors uh, I didn't come to Scotland until 2004 but pretty much since setting foot in Scotland I knew this is the place I had to be I started off in um, Orkney, Shetland and the West Isles, really uh, uh, far-flung islands as it was, completely alien to me from, from what I grew up in, but something I just felt I came with. It was a fantastic environment, a living landscape, um, wonderful, warm, friendly people, so much biodiversity uh, and felt a lot more in keeping with the land uh, than what I'd, I'd grown up with. And ever every minute I've had an opportunity to, to live and work in Scotland, uh, I have, I've done that by choice and I, I absolutely love it up here. So we have a three hectare croft uh, in Drumfern, which is a, a lovely small township uh, on South Skye, so it's on the Slate Peninsula. Uh, we're a little bit different with our croft. So before we moved in, it had been planted up with um, native um, woodland and surrounded by a deer fence. Um, so when we moved in uh, seven years ago or so, we moved into a young woodland, uh, very busy for biodiversity as it was. Um, we had some various rules and restrictions that we couldn't graze it for a, a few years. Um, and that gave us an opportunity to look at the land a little bit different. Most of the other crofts around us are, are sheep and cattle, uh, and ours was was different uh, in that sense. We thought, well, we can try something a bit different here. Can, can we grow food, which is our main aim with that? Can we have biodiversity? And can we kind of spot ourselves in other ways? 
uh, and we're we're showing so far uh, on a slow approach that, that yes that, that is the case so we, we've put a lot of fruit trees in a lot of hedging um, and we're, we're managing it with biodiversity and food and kind of other products you know um, wood fuel and charcoal and wood chip and things in mind so being a more productive uh, site uh, and it seems to to work quite nicely um, and at first when we moved in we were we were because we were doing some things a little bit differently we were a little bit scared to say we're here we're doing this differently and we had restrictions on the trees at that time so we we, we had to and we didn't plant the, the trees um but now over the years um most definitely folk are coming to us and asking oh maybe could that work there the trees shelter would they help my uh, stock um can you grow apple trees on sky didn't know you could do that it's like yeah you can absolutely grow apple trees on, on sky uh, and blueberries and all range of other stuff we've got polytunnel and so little by little we've uh, built up a bit of a local reputation for for what we do and, and respect for what we do which is fantastic and now through the farm advisory service mentoring scheme um a lot of people are able to kind of tap into that i've been able to come and visit other people and provide that i don't want to tell people what to do but if they they want to know how we've done it and how it works then then great uh, and that, that's been the enjoyable part of it recently we can kind of be proud in our in our actions in, in what we've uh, achieved on the croft and that's about 50 apple trees now that we've got a great range of fruit trees and i want to to learn to graft uh fruit trees and do a lot more myself and i believe you know they've got great potential here for for things and then who knows where that'll lead maybe maybe a sky cider down the line who knows for me um scotland and the rural sector offered so much to me on, on every level i like being outdoors uh, i like kind of the spirit of adventure i certainly don't mind uh, the weather and i'm really fascinated by land management and biodiversity and food production all linking in and i and i've found certainly um some places in scotland we're a little bit out of kilter with that but i believe certainly with crofting we've got a nice little niche here where um we really can tie it all together the social side the cultural side the historical side uh food production and biodiversity and carbon i believe it all can tie together into the future uh, and being based on on the west here right in the heart of uh crofting counties um yeah it speaks so much to me because it's, it's the story of the people as well uh, and the biodiversity that comes along with that and um, that's the the story that really draws me into this region and this line of work so the nature friendly farming network is a relatively new organization um, and as its name describes it is a network of farmers and we're set up uh, and led um, i'm on the uk board um, with that being the vice chair in, in scotland we've got a steering group in each of the the four uk countries um, and now we've got staff um, so the first few years it was just voluntary based uh, and just a network for folk to kind of socialize and share good ideas and practice and now we have sustainable farming leads in, in our countries we've got uh, parliamentary officers and we can help our members uh, get direct lines into policymakers and make a real difference we're not a conservation organization in in traditional sense we are farmers and we are um, productive farmers with that just using nature-friendly agroecological models to bring um, to bring a better business model around and demonstrate that it is actually possible uh, and that's that's great for us is that you know there's no hidden agenda with us we want to just try and highlight that this is possible it needs greater support absolutely um, but it's a model we think uh, that will apply from uh, the big arable areas of the east eastern england and eastern scotland right across to small crofts um, and the western isles and orkney uh, i think there's uh, it's a nice little niche that, that 
ties in with that. Um, and for me, that's, uh, again, it's the people and the farmers that, that bring that along from the very start. So for membership, uh, as it is with Nature Friendly Farming, we've got two grades of membership. We've got farmer and crofter members. It's all free to join. Um, so you can just go onto our website and, and find that. And there's also a supporter membership as well for the general public as well, because lots of people are interested, particularly in the food side of things and the food story. Obviously, we all eat, but uh, tying in food with a, with a greater story um, um, certainly works, works well for a lot of folk. Um, we're expanding our resources uh, as it comes and we produce quite a lot of documents each year. So um, more general documents, but also kind of uh, management guides as well as what we're going to be building on. And future going forward, we would like to be having officers on the ground to be able to offer uh, bespoke advice. Obviously, we're getting a direction of travel now from the Scottish Government as to what agriculture is going to look like. Um, once we get a few more details, we can start tailoring our advice so it ties in um, with support uh, that we're giving as well, because we can offer advice on certain land management now, but it might not be relevant as it comes. Um, so there's, uh, there's lots of different things that we can uh, tie in for. And now at the moment, it's, it's a, in, such an interesting time for Scottish agriculture. Um, and everyone's working hard to, to make sure they get, get a, a good steer for nature, for farming, uh, and for people within that. There's different people with different interests. Of course, there's lots of folk with conservation mind and, and carbon, forestry, all sorts of other things which can be conflicting. But as an organisation, I think we sit nicely in the middle. We're not conservationists um, straight off. We are farmers and crofters. Um, and we do have an interest in, and uh, engagement with, with all partners. We sit uh, nicely in the middle I, I would say um, and offer an alternative path because there's, there's often a land sparing debate and land sharing debate, uh, debate that's uh, often played out in social media and we, we, we think um, that land sharing certainly for us works uh, particularly well particularly in the marginal areas of, of Scotland um, but also in, in places of uh, more production as well in the east. The, the enjoyment side of this, this thing for me is absolutely being on the ground, boots on the ground, um, whether it's in mud, whether it's in rain, don't care. But seeing people on their crofts talking about their their animal, their land, their animals, their land management, um, that for me is brilliant. And if you can bring other people together, maybe with slightly different ideas, uh, people who are more experienced, people who are less experienced, people who are just starting out, people who are thinking of starting out, I think that that is fantastic. Uh, and you get some energy in the room. And it's a time of change now. And that's... Uh, important for folk obviously agriculture has been fairly settled for a while but there is a time of change there is an opportunity for innovation but we must uh, still respect tradition within that uh, and i think i think it's uh, it's a good time for chatting in a, in a nice friendly way and the project i'm working on um at the moment down on isla duran colonsay a lot of that is just bringing farmers and crofters together uh, having some tea having some sandwiches having a look uh, look around crofts and farms and looking at land management does it tie in well with uh, the support mechanisms does it tie in with agro uh, ecological principles does it tie in with agri-environment schemes and the the benefits and, and drawbacks of that and where we can do better um, and that's that's a great way of doing it lots of the other events and gatherings you you can have often have got quite strict agendas and you're going to a workshop to learn a certain thing we tend to keep ours a bit more open and allow for a bit more uh, chat and discussion with that um, and allow it to be more more free. Um, and that, that social side of things is something that we lacked, I, I would I would think, certainly with COVID as well. A lot of things were moved online. We've lost a lot of events. And now is a time 
um, to mix in the social and the learning, I think, and those opportunities are great. And there's no shortage of folk willing to come forward and, uh, and volunteer their crofts and farms. It takes bravery to open up your farm gates and to allow other people on, um, whether it's your neighbours, whether it's people you've never met before. It does take, uh, take bravery. But there's so much energy at those events and so much positivity I see. Yes, there's challenges, but I, I, I see positivity. So for the, the Nature Friendly Farming Network at the moment, we're, we're involved in many, many projects going forward. Um, I would certainly say reach out to us and reach out to our partners uh, as well. So that includes uh, wonderful people at the Scottish Crofting Federation, Soil Association Scotland, Pasture for Life, um, Land Workers Alliance, um, Propagate uh, and others. And we're all working on different projects to, to get knowledge transfer delivered uh, in different ways. And a lot of that is on-farm and on-croft events, um, whether it's online webinars, we did a very successful high nature value farming webinar just a few weeks ago, and that got a lot of positive engagement. There still is a place for the online, absolutely. Um, but we want to try and do face-to-face uh, -face, um, with that. Um, and I say watch this space really, because as, as the Nature Friendly Farming Network grows and as the agroecological movement um, and biodiversity and carbon uh, um, kind of areas get, get more and more attention, um, we, we have to kind of try and work with integrated land management. We have to tie it all together. Uh, and national parks uh, are approaching us, local councils are approaching us, um, other regions, uh, sectors and, and uh, um, land management groups uh, are wanting to in involve farmers uh, on the ground. There's so much opportunity going forward. Obviously, it does need a little bit of support, but I think tying it all together, uh, it's uh, it's it's going to be some exciting projects going forward. And I, I just wish I had uh, four or five me's to kind of get the jobs done just on my desk uh, at the moment. There's so much that I want to be involved with and so many I want to start as well. Um, I think it's a growth sector, and I think it's something that, from an employment point of view for the youngsters, I think working in agroecological um, biodiversity, um, uh, integrating trees and things like these, these are all things that are growth sectors uh, across Scotland. So I think there's, there is opportunities. I know that this other sectors might not be doing so well on that, but I think land management is something for youngsters. To, I, I would say there is opportunities now. I do occasionally leave the croft, uh, but it's not very common these days. But from my travels across Scotland, uh, through my work um, and through my, my spare time, I love islands and island bagging in particular. Uh, and I've been to, I, I really should keep a tally of this, I should keep a spreadsheet, but I, I've been to uh, scores and scores and scores of islands across uh, Scotland. And I think I've covered almost every uh, rock in Orkney, Shetland, um, Western Isles, working on some of the, the inner ones. I just, for some reason, I've loved islands. I've worked on islands before. Uh, and I've, I've had plenty of time just uh, on islands. Uh, so when I was warden of Hander Island as, as a nature conservation ranger, uh, plenty of opportunity where it was just, just me on the island uh, for that as well. Me and uh, however many thousand puffins and uh, skewers and guillemots. Um, so I absolutely love that island experience until this day. And, and Sky is an island, I know, but crikey, my, the, the co-op is just 15 minutes from now, so it doesn't doesn't really count. But I can see other islands <laughs> out the window that draw me draw me out in in the canoe and, and little boats. And Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rural Roundup. Throughout February and March, we're continuing to release bonus episodes, each telling a short story of a successful diversified farm business in Scotland. 
The most recent episode was released last week and features Laura Beck from The Paw Park. Subscribe to this channel to make sure you get notified of these bonus episodes and we'll see you back here on the 8th of March for our usual fortnightly roundup. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.